Thank you for joining us today for the Gospel Light Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Lenentine. We are a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church family located in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are motivated to love God, grow together, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. Now we hope you enjoy today's message from the Word of God. So let's go back to 2 Timothy and uh, do a recap and then finish out this message tonight on the seven things to continue to do in perilous times. Because we need to understand no matter what is going on in our country, God wants us to continue. Amen? And oh, by the way, when we think that we are in trouble and there's no hope, that's many times where God shows up. And so if we're looking at revival, hey, this is some things, these are some things that we need to do, and thank you for coming back this evening. And so as it says here, those seven things in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 10, those seven things, doctrine, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, I love the fact that this is a book that speaks very clearly and by the way, we need to start speaking for ourselves as well. We can't allow someone else to speak for us. For too long, we've let other people speak for us. It's time that we get prayed up and stand up and then speak up. That's why I'm welcoming pastors like your pastor when the time is right to come to Washington, D.C. and to pray with the people there in Washington so that we can hold them accountable. I remember a story uh, of a man, and uh, he basically was very good at healing animals. And so when he retired from his ranch, he moved into a city. And when he moved into the city, he said, you know, if I could heal animals, I could probably heal people. And so this rancher put out a little shingle that said, cured, $500. If not cured, 1000 That means if you got cured, you paid him 500 If you didn't get cured, he'd pay you 1000 Well, we'll call him for the sake of the story, Dr. Geezer. He was an older man, okay? And then there was a young man there who was an actual doctor that took some exception to this man coming in and making the pretense of being a doctor. We'll call him Dr. Young. So Dr. Young said, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. I'm going to go and I'm going to... Uh, get $1,000 and basically show him he shouldn't be in the pseudo-medical practice. So he walked in, of course, being a small town, Dr. Geezer knew Dr. Young, said, Dr. Young, why are you here? Well, I have a problem. I have no taste. I can't taste anything. That's kind of apropos for today. He said, well, please get on the examination table. And he looked at his tongue and checked him all out and said uh, to his nurse, Nurse Betty, go get that medicine from box 22 and put three drops of that on Dr. Young's tongue, to which she did. By the time the third drop touched his tongue, Dr. Young said, now that's kerosene. He said, congratulations. You have your taste buds back. Uh, that'll be $1,000. Well, he walks out, he's out $1,000. He said, I got to think about something, at least break even and, and teach this guy a lesson. So he thought for several days, came back a second time. And of course, Dr. Young said, 
Dr. Young, Jesus said, Dr. Young, you're back so soon. What, what are you here for? He said, I've lost all short-term memory. I can't remember what's happened just a few days ago. He said, well, please get on the examination table. And again, he checked them all out. And then he said, a nurse, Betty, go get that medicine from Box 22. And, and he said, oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. That's kerosene. He said, congratulations, you got your memory back. <laughs> and that'll be $1,000. So now he's out $2,000, he said, I gotta go back and at least you know, start recouping some of these losses. So he thought about it, he thought about it, he said, this is foolproof, this is gonna work, this is gonna work. He came in with some dark sunglasses, tapping a cane, and of course, Dr. Geezer told him, Dr. Young, what's the problem? This time he said, I've lost my sight, I can't see. He said, Nurse Betty, please help him to the examination table. Took off his sunglasses, looked at his eyes, and again, checked him out there. He said, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry. I can't do anything for you. Uh, here is um, 10 $100 bills. He said, hey, those are only $1 bills. He said, congratulations. <laughs> you got your sight back. That'll be $1,000. <laughs> Say, what are you saying, Brother Harding? I'm saying that there's no substitute for experience. There's the book of experience. Amen. We get into this book, and then we speak this book very clearly to people so that they can receive the truth. Amen? And we need to ingest it first before we can give it to someone else. I want to ask you a question. This question is this. Do you believe that God is still the God of the miracle? How many believe that God's still the God of the miracle? Raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, that's good. Now let me ask you another question. This is rhetorical, so don't raise your hand on this one. But those of you that just raised your hand and said that God is the God of the miracle, that yes, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's no respecter of persons. Again, rhetorical, so don't raise your hand. I wonder how many of you, of you have a miracle on your prayer list that you're praying for right now, that if God doesn't do it, it won't get done. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. You say, well, I haven't seen God perform a miraculous answer to prayer for me in my life. Well, tomorrow night I'm going to be talking about how to receive miraculous things from God through prayer. But you see, we, as I said this morning, it, it merits repetition. We woke up in a miracle. Oh, by the way, we're all walking, talking miracles. The miracle of the new birth. And we cannot let our charismatic brethren steal the fact that God is a God of the miracle. And we can still experience miracles today. Amen? And so, 2 Timothy, we're looking at a miraculous book here, the Bible. And we talked about the doctrine which is, of course, our Bible and what God has given to us from his word. And, and really, I don't think any of us really make as much use of God's word as we should. I remember the stories when Wycliffe first copied the Bible in the common man's tongue. And it took six months to copy one complete edition of God's word. Some of the people surrounding Wycliffe's little cottage industry there by Oxford, England, those people that worked from sunup to sundown in the fields, many times a lot of them not even literate, wanted a portion of God's word in their house, the eternal, miraculous word of God. And so for weeks and sometimes months, they would deprive themselves of necessary food. They and them found that their families, and then on the protected, on a, excuse me, on a particular day they'd come and they'd put those coins on that table of Wycliffe and he would come out 
and bring them one page from his back scribe shop. One page. He would tie it up with a little bit of twine and give it to that man. That man would go home and there was his family at the door of this little hovel and they were visibly emaciated, dark circles around their eyes, very thin from not having enough food for weeks if not months. But they weren't whining, they were jumping up and down with glee like it was a thousand Christmas mornings. And that man came into his house, put that one page of God's word down on the table and undid the twine and it unfolded. His family came up around him. He said, now we're wealthy because we have a portion of the eternal miraculous word of God in our home. What I'm saying is this, there was a time, there was a death sentence to own that Bible. And I stood in England where St. Bart's Day occurred, where they marched out Christians, men, women, and children, burned them at the stake for simply owning a Bible. I wonder how many of us would start hiding our Bibles if it came to that again today in our country. Now, what we need to understand is this, the doctrine that God has given to us gives us then our manner of life that we give back to God. Our manner of life is not being ruled, by the way. Americans don't want to be ruled. We don't mind being governed, but we don't like to be ruled. We like to take calculated risks. That's how we founded this nation to begin with. There is something in the Annapolis State House that was the nation's capital for about 90 days, the first nation's capital. And it's called the American Creed, written and attributed to Thomas Jefferson. Listen to what it says. I do not choose to be common. It is my right to be uncommon. I seek opportunity, not security. I do not wish to be a kept citizen, humbled and dulled, and having the state look after me. I want to take calculated risks, to dream and to build, to fail and to succeed. I refuse to barter incentive for a dole handout. I prefer the challenges of life to the guaranteed existence, the thrill of fulfillment to the state of calm of utopia. I will not trade freedom for beneficence, nor my dignity for a handout. I will never cower before any master, nor bend to any threat. It is my heritage to stand erect, proud, and unafraid, to think and to act for myself, to enjoy the benefit of my creations, to face the world and boldly say, with God's help, I have done this. That's the American creed. That's our manner of life that we need to understand as we begin the second part of this message, seven things to continue to do in perilous times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for loving us. I thank you for each and every person that is here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that they put you first and how they've honored you by simply their presence here tonight. And also, dear God, how you see this and because they have followed your under-shepherd, their pastor, dear God, you take notice of every church and every Christian that comes to church and is faithful. Oh God, help us now 
as we begin this message, Lord, once again to ask for that holy unction of your blessed and holy spirit and might his presence once again be readily evident by each and every person here. Father, we pray that you would help the cares and burdens, aches and pains of this life just to disappear for a while as we focus on these eternal truths. And dear God, help us to incorporate them, to ingest them. And Lord, to begin to look to you once again and understand that prayer touches your heart, moves your hand on our behalf, behalf of our families, churches, states, and our nation. And oh God, we need you to move upon our nation tonight. We ask this, Lord, and we pray as I step back that you would step forward once again. I surrender everything that I am to you. Articulate my speech, clarify my thoughts, but most of all, oh God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work through me. And dear God, every word that I say that you would infuse it into our hearts, thy people. We'll be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for what you're about to do. But we ask this in the precious name of your Son and our Savior. And by the power and the merit and the authority that is in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. To our manner of life. And that is, of course, understanding that look, as the Bible says in Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. The more you live for others, the joyful, the more joyful you will be. And that is who we are as the people of America. Sacrifice has always defined us. You understand that, right? The fact that when our young people went to Normandy, France, and in the first 15 minutes, 190 of them fell by the first day, when the first day was over, 2,000 had fallen for the price of liberty. I've heard stories. I've stood on Omaha Beach with a veteran from D-Day. I asked him what was it like. He described to me unimaginable things that he saw and the fact that they were stepping over bodies of those men that had preceded them that had quieted the machine guns. And some of them were still alive. And how they cradled their heads and gave them some of their water from the canteen to try to do something for them and how when they came over to one person then another, there were medics but not enough, their commander said, we have to continue to push in. This is far from over. These men will have to wait for the next available medic. But he said, I saw men in every imaginable position with their life blood ebbing out and I realized that they had given their life so we could continue to go forward and liberate that portion of France. Amazing to me the fact that there were men that literally gave their life for a few feet up a beachhead and how they were followed by their friends that knew who they were, that saw the photographs of mom and dad and perhaps sweethearts and brothers and sisters and knew their aspirations of life, but as they passed their still body, they gave their life for a few more feet up the beach until those machine guns were finally reached. You see, sacrifice defines us as Americans. That's living for others. And for those people that I know that weren't in the earlier service, Gary Bykirk, as I promised you, the story of this man that is the chaplain of the Medal of Honor Society and the chaplaincy in these last three 
aspects here was, first of all, by a man by the name of Desmond Doss, who they made a movie about, Hacksaw Ridge. He gave it to Woody Williams, who's still going strong, by the way, at 97, and putting up Gold Star Memorials to the families that have lost loved ones in service to our country. And then he, Woody Williams, gave it to Gary Bykirk. You pray for Gary Bykirk. He is fighting a very egregious cancer. But Gary said to us on one of the national prayer calls, he said that during the first few days in a remote camp in the highlands of Vietnam, he asked a young Montillard boy, one of the members of the indigenous tribes there, teach me how to survive because he had watched a, you might say, news report about a father telling his children, one day you'll be able to tell your grandchildren you survived the COVID-19 pandemic. And he said, when I saw that, that survival went to my mind being a Green Beret medic, and it sent me back to Vietnam where I asked that Montillard boy, look, I'm afraid of snakes, and I'm afraid of tigers, and I need to learn how to survive. And the little boy laughed at him. He said, I don't want to teach you how to survive. I want to teach you how to live because the jungle gives us life. And that little boy taught him how to live. And when he realized, even in the midst of some very dangerous circumstances, he could live and not just live, but live for others, I thought, you know what? That is an amazing thing to think about, that we live for others. I don't live for myself. I live for the next generation. Amen? I live for those people that are coming up because they will be the ones that will suffer for our mistakes and our apathy and our complacency. We cannot allow that to happen. We bring ourselves to the third thing, and that is our purpose, the doctrine which God gives to us, our manner of life that we give to him, and then our purpose. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, what? Only you and I can shine as lights, holding forth the word of life, God's word, that why? That we may rejoice in the day of Christ, that we've not run in vain, nor labored in vain. And that's why I say over and over and over again, those people in Washington, D.C., that sometimes the world hates. They are not the enemy. They're the patient. They need salvation. They need us to reach out to them. I'm talking about all those people that are for the abortion of babies up to the point of birth. I'm talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that want transgenderism taught to elementary students. I'm talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that don't want the free market system, the, the miraculous free market system that gives us such an amazing standard of living. They want socialism, which doesn't work. And by the way, socialism is just communism with lipstick. Amen? It's those people. They are not the enemy. We have to understand this goes far beyond the political. This is spiritual warfare. And because of that, you and I, knowing these things, understanding, appreciating, committing ourselves, we need to get real serious about prayer. I remember when we first began the war for independence, it was almost over before it began. The Battle of Brooklyn Heights, 
Washington had been basically caught with his back towards the East River. And our bulk of our Continental Army basically was about to be captured by the British. It was a cold evening. The sun began to set. But I love the spirit of the British. Just the Lord that did this. The British stopped. I can almost imagine one of the British officers saying, oh, Cecil, I think I'd like some tea. Oh, Capitol Reginald, I think I'd like some crumpets with that tea. We'll take care of those pesky colonists tomorrow. They're not going anywhere because the East River was impassable. And so to the amazement of George Washington, they stopped. They set up camp. So George Washington said, well, we'll set up camp too. And he put some men in charge of keeping fires going. But something happened at 11 o'clock. You know what happened? The storm subsided. And the East River became smooth as glass. And George Washington said, get all the boats that you can muster. Because we're going to get everyone across to Manhattan Island to live and fight another day. His exec said, sir, we're never going to be able to get it done. He said, we must try. So they started gathering boats. They took rags and tied it around the, the wheels of the cannons to move it on. They held on to the muskets and their sabers so the British wouldn't hear them because although night had fallen, they were within earshot of knowing what they could basically do. And so they kept it quiet. You know why these things happened? Let me tell you the rest of the story. They started moving the men, horses, cannons, and artillery, along with the men across from Brooklyn Heights to Manhattan. The men that wrote the journals said every time they loaded up, a wind helped to push them across to the other side. And as soon as they were on the other side, the wind subsided and they could row back very easily. And that went on all night long. The sun was about to begin to rise and George Washington, he refused to be any man but the last man off. So they were, they were working feverishly. Now, these were the men that knew the weather. They knew when the principles were right for fog to roll in. And all of them said to a man, it was not right. There shouldn't have been a fog. But a fog rolled in all the same. As the sun began to rise to cover their retreat, a fog fell. And it was such a thick fog, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't hear, and so now they weren't even trying to keep quiet. They were just loading boat after boat, and finally the last boat with General George Washington got to the other side. As soon as they pulled it up to safety to land, the fog lifted. Now, I believe there are some explicatives on both sides of the river. <laughs> and I won't go to those particular, but possibly some of the men on our side said, wow. Some probably said, Wow backwards, wow. Some probably said, wow upside down, mom. But they all knew what had happened. It was God. And one of our men did a jig to mock the British. And no, I'm not doing the jig for you, okay? Because Baptists don't dance, all right? Okay? But, <clears throat> unless we dance before the Lord like David. But uh, in any case, why did that happen? You know why? The Continental Army had called... For the people, the patriots, the one-third of the American populace that were born-again believers to pray and fast in God's miraculous hand. 
gave them a chance to continue on time and time again. Hey, whole books have been written how many times God, how many times God has performed a miracle on behalf of our nation. We shouldn't have won the war for independence. They've tried to figure it out. You look at the strategy. There's no way we should have won aside from God showing up because you see, God is a game changer. Amen. Amen. And it doesn't make any difference how far we're behind or what the news media says. We are God's people and if we get a hold of him, he changes it all. That's what we have to understand again. Our nation's inception shouldn't have happened. How many times we came to the precipice and the world said it's over. Even before the Constitution was written, there were states about to sign treaties with Great Britain and France, negating everything that had happened. And something occurred in the Constitutional Convention where they had argued for five weeks. Argued. Ben Franklin stood up. One of the more unlikely men to stand up and chastise the rest of the men by verbally taking the Bible and beating them over the head with the Bible. See, he was one of six out of the 56 men that made it back from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitutional Convention in his 80s, where most men in those days died in their 30s. And he stood, and I'm not going to give you the whole speech, but you should look it up sometime and read it. He said, we looked to all the governments in the world, past and present, none of them suit our needs. And he said, we've deliberated and we've argued, but what we haven't done is we haven't prayed. I was here in this same room when our backs were against the wall. And do we no longer think we need our faithful friend? And do we believe that he won't see a sparrow fall and yet allow an empire to rise without his aid? We do know better than the builders of Babel. He said, I beseech you before we go to deliberation, we must pray. They broke for three days and three nights and those delegates of the Continental Congress those men of the Constitutional Convention walked across the street, took rooms, and started praying and fasting together. They attended church, reconvened in three days, and five more weeks they came out with a document. James Madison, who was attributed as the author, said, I was not. All the governments that I tried to put forward, they didn't work, so we went to the governor of the universe. Amen. And because of that, we have a tri-form of government that God gives us from Isaiah 33 and verse 22. A multi-layered representational government called the Republic from Exodus 18 and verse 21. And we are not a theocracy, but we're not a democracy either. We're a republic. We're gonna go into that a little bit longer. But what I'm saying is this. We need to start understanding number four. We live by faith. God's people live by faith. That's our, you might say, vehicle of the manner of life. Faith. It's an action word. Faith takes the truth and puts it into progress, forward progress, amen? Now, I don't watch the NFL anymore. I don't watch the NFL, sorry. You can if you want, I don't. And I won't until they start pledging to our flag, okay? But I do like American football, you know why? Because we throw the ball downfield. I just kinda like that. It's moving it forward, amen? And I've seen the actual letter that Teddy Roosevelt wrote to the commandant of the Annapolis Academy 
that changed football forever because up to that time it was kind of like a combination of rugby and, and, uh, and the laterals, all lateral. And I love Teddy because he said, this is America. We move forward here. Throw that ball downfield. Don't you love it? Amen? And so even the configuration of the football changed because President Teddy Roosevelt said, throw it down the field. Let's move this game forward. And that made it the American football that it is today. Hey, faith moves us forward. Amen? We don't live by news broadcasts. We don't live by briefings. We live by faith. God says it over and over again. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith. Not fear. What's your manner of life? It's faith. You don't live by what the news says. You don't live by even what conservative news sources say. We live by faith. We must always remember the problem is never too big for God. You know what the world says? Oh, it's too good to be true. There's nothing too good to be true with God because God is good. He's good all the time. Too often, you see, you know what happens to us living in this culture? We look through God to circumstances. Huh? We need to start looking through circumstances and seeing God there. Because what we're doing right now, we're faced with circumstances. Oh, and, and here's the problem. Fear. Fear. You know, people can die from fear. It's called shock. And they shouldn't die. Their wounds aren't grievous enough to make their body die, but their mind shuts things down because they're, they're afraid, fearful. Hey, look, we don't go backwards. We go forwards. And by the way, every person in here as a Christian, is doing one of two ways. See, the Christian life is dynamic. You don't stand still. You're going forward by faith or backward in fear. The fear of man brings the snare. You know that, right? And much of our country is snared. You know, we need, to, we need to be people of faith. God says he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, I've seen Christians, some of our brethren, bowing to the culture. Bowing, because they're afraid of what man will say. Bowing to the culture, curtsying to the culture. I'm not going to curtsy to the culture. Baptists, independent Baptists, have always been countercultural. Amen. Amen? We don't follow the culture. We stand against it with the truth, sometimes alone. But may I say this, when you stand with the truth, you're never alone. You're always in the majority, because truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? God says, I don't give you the spirit of fear. Power, love, never sound mind. And may I submit to you, to whatever extent you are afraid of man, to that same extent. You're diminished in your love for God and others, in your power with God and others, and even in your sound mind. I, I, I don't want to have my mind clouded with fear. I want to move forward in faith. As soon as things opened up, my wife and I, we started traveling again. A lot of guys didn't. We did. I said to my wife, we're going. First place we went to was Bath Springs, Tennessee. Out in the middle of nowhere. Now, we live in, you know, we're outside in Washington. Everything was closed down, restaurants, everything, you know. And I, I flew in. No one had masks on. Because I didn't have any COVID there. 
There was no mandates at that time. Everyone was just doing it, you know, because of the quote-unquote, you know, public officials of that particular county, whatever. But no one had masks. I said, where are we going to eat? Oh, right down here, barbecue place. I said, is it open? He said, oh, yeah. We walked in, no one had a mask on. People were walking up, you know. And it was their first Sunday back in their church. Amen. Everyone was hugging on each other. It was, it was wonderful. Amen. <laughs> Say, oh, Brother Harney, why'd you do that? Because I'm not going back in fear. I'm going forward in faith. God has that same thing for each and every one of us. We need to hear these truths, receive them intellectually, accept them theologically, but most importantly, we need to believe in them spiritually. That faith, laying hold upon the truths and incorporating them into our life. Hey, Mark 4.40, the Lord said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? It's time that we understand we're justified by faith. And by the way, faith is always a stance to victory. Amen? It is the victory that overcomes the world. Number five, as I move along, long-suffering. Do you know in this pandemic, people are going to offend you? Huh? How, how many have been offended lately? Someone's tried to offend, offend you. Well, you're not really offended, but someone tried, you know, they were impolite to you, whatever the case may be. Well, that happens. That happens in a pandemic. That happens out of fear, you see. Long-suffering is bearing injuries or provocation for a long time. You want to have revival? You know what you need to do? Let go of the bitterness. Huh? Because too many of God's people hold bitterness. You know what bitterness does? It rots the bones. You know, I've known people that are bitter, and they literally had problems with their bone marrow after being bitter for years. It says that the Lord was long-suffering. So when we are long-suffering, when we forgive people quickly, it's not just living in Christ's likeness. It's liberating. Amen? It's liberating. Hey, oh, yeah, I'm going to teach them. I'm not going to forgive them. You're not teaching them nothing. You have as much sense saying that as you reach into a, a bed of hot coals and grab a hot coal and squeeze it as hard as you can. See, you want to have revival? Forgive people. Well, they, they didn't apologize to me. Brother Harding, what are we, in the eighth grade? Huh? I don't see anyone with nails here. Come on. Do you? Come on. And what did the Lord say? Oh, did they apologize to him? They were railing on him. Right. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You understand? It's time that we start looking past people at what is making them act the way that they're acting. Because everyone is motivated by either the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit. Amen? Amen? And we need to understand, look, you want revival, yes or no? You want revival? Then it's time for us to be long-suffering. You don't have to have someone apologize to you. Well, you don't understand what they did. They messed with my reputation. Hey, your reputation is what men think you are. Your character is what God knows you are. People try to disparage your character. You give it to God. Oh, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, if I was you, I'd hold on to that. Okay, I've seen too many people that have given a piece of mind here and there. You know, and I'm saying, oh, it messes up your mind when you do that. Look, God does a much better job at fighting your battles than you do. Huh? You want to fight your battles? Well, I'm going to... 
They said this to me. I'm going to tell them that. No, because when you do, you see, God says, okay, hands off then. You want to take it? Go ahead. And you're going to mess it up. You're going to make it worse. The devil is the great divider. You know what we've been given? The spirit of reconciliation. Now, how can we reconcile someone to Jesus Christ with the gospel if we're not reconciled in our own heart and mind, you see? And so, look, no one has to apologize. Just forgive them. You know what, you know what it is? It's an exercise. Acts 24 and verse 16. You know what it says? And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Amen? I tell you, it's, it's wonderful to have a free spirit from the chains of bitterness because bitterness is a root sin. There's some of you here tonight, listen to me. Some of you here tonight need to put bitterness at the altar. If you want revival, look at your children. Look at the children, the young people. All the young people stand up for a minute. All the young people in here. All the young people, teenagers and, and below. All the young people. See them? You see them all? Amen? Fine-looking young people. Got a bunch of guys with bow ties. I like the bow tie guys, okay? I, I was talking to the bow tie guys. One, one was playing with his ball, walked past me, didn't even, you know, didn't even recognize the fact that I'd complimented his bow tie. Yeah, you, you're right there. <laughs> but, but your brother, your, your brother, you know, he said, yeah, well, thank you, you know. And it's got some bow ties. These are nice-looking young people. You know why we need to get to this altar tonight and do some business with God for our country? For these young people here. They need us. Thank you. You may be seated. They need us. Do you know what they need us to do? Step out of our comfort zone. Huh? Oh, Brother Hardy, I don't normally go to the altar. It might be a good time to start right now when our country is in the balance. I was on a plane one time. And the guy said this, Brother Lentine, he said this, what does a baby need to do? What does a young child need to do to start walking? You know what I said? They need to lean forward and throw themselves off balance. And then they catch themselves with that first foot. You know what he said? You're the first person that's ever answered that correctly. I said, what do most people say? They take their first step. But hey, a baby can stand there all day long, do baby calisthenics. Step, step, step. Those are steps, right? Not going anywhere, right? You know the Christian life? You know what, it's, you know what it is? It's getting out of your comfort zone. Remember the first time you gave someone a tract? Huh? Remember when you walked the aisle and got baptized? Was that comfortable? it wasn't comfortable but that's what you do you get out of your comfort zone you lean forward progress fear no faith and you lean forward and have you ever seen a little child walking like in an airport and, and they're like and you know what mom or dad's doing they're, okay that's what God, see, he's right behind us. It's time we get out of our comfort zone. It's time we start reading our Bibles more than we've ever read our Bibles before. Start taking scriptures from our Bibles, putting them on three by five cards, the scripture on one side, the address on the other, and start memorizing it. It's time we get to an old-fashioned altar and start praying fervently to God and asking God for some miracles. Tomorrow night, I hope you're going to be here because I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you from God's word how to get miraculous prayers 
answered. You say, Brother Harding, God's answered some miraculous prayer. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And, and I'm nothing. I'm no one. But I want to tell you this. Since I got serious about my prayer life, about 17, 18 years ago, I can't begin to tell you what God's done for me in this ministry. What I'm saying is we have to continue to keep ourselves free because that's how we reach God. That leads us to the next thing, and I love this charity. Charity. You know what that is? Loving God and one another. Amen? Hey, it says the first two laws, the love up and then love out, right? And, and then God tells us, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. You know the reason why some of these young people that have been rioting in some of these liberal cities have no decency whatsoever? It's because they don't know God, and they don't have any love for God. Now I want to ask you, to, do you want to love God tomorrow more than you loved him today? Huh? Or, or, or just, you, you say you're just oh, okay. I'm okay with how much I love God. No, no, no. If you want revival, never get satisfied. I want to be able to go to God and say, Lord, I love you. I want God to be able to say, Chuck, I know you do. Amen. Because if we love him more, guess what? We love others more. I love this brother here. I think about this brother. When I pray for your church, I pray for this brother right here. I like it. He's in the amen corner. I like that he's vocal, amen? I just kind of like that. Hey, you know why? Because it's like oxygen to a preacher. Amen? People say amen, we go, yeah! See, I want to love my wife more tomorrow than I loved her today. I love my wife. 45 years, love my wife, amen? I want to love her more tomorrow than I did today. How many times do I tell you I love you every single day? A lot. What's the last thing I tell you before you go to sleep at night? Yeah. She kind of gets embarrassed when I do this. That's okay. Amen. But the more we love him, the more we can love our families. Oh, guess what? The more we love those people out there that need someone to love on them, that need someone to say, hey, let me give you something to read about my best friend. Good news from a far country. How you can know for sure when you die you're going to heaven. You see, those are things that God gives us that we need to, in these times, in these perilous times, in these last days, these are things that we need to continue to do. Just love on God. Two men over in England, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Joseph Parker, both great, eloquent orators. A group of people came from the United States. They went to listen to Joseph Parker. They came out and they said, wow, what a great preacher. Then they went to listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was just as eloquent. When they came out from listening to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know what they said? What a savior. You know why? Because Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a love affair with God. I know you love God, but are you in love with God? See, my wife and I, we were separated for a while. Before we got married, she was my fiance. I never even asked her to marry me. I told her. <laughs> kind of a caveman, I'm sorry. I had no social graces, but I knew I had a good thing, and I said, you're going to marry me, you understand? She said, okay, big boy. <laughs> she, and, and, and I went up to, to make some money, and she would give me love letters. I'd wear them out before the next one came. 
I'd read it before I even got to my vehicle. And here's the thing. This is God's love letter. Right there. Hey, we need to wear it out. He loves us. He thinks about it. His thoughts towards us are many. We need to keep that channel open to him. We need to build in the love of God rather than destroy. If we love God, we'll heal, not wound. If we love God, we'll praise and not criticize. If we love God, we'll go to God in prayer, not to man in maliciousness. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Hey, you want, you say, I'm a little listless lately. Might love God more. Amen? He's our strength. Seven and I'm, seven and I'm, I'm done. Patience. Patience. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Hey, I think we're being tried today, don't you? In our country. We're being tried in our faith. But what we have to understand, when we continue, in James chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience. The race that's set before us. Every one of us is in a race. You, you get that, right? We're in a race. You know what the race is? To live for Christ to continue to reach out and see people saved, walk down an old-fashioned aisle, get baptized in deep water, grow in grace, and reproduce themselves. That is the byproduct of revival. Our country is in some major duress right now. We can't do much with the left-wing ideologues. We can do miraculous things through our prayer in an old-fashioned altar. Say, Brother Harney, where could revival begin? Right here tonight. It begins with us. See, we, you might say, are the field of play, and God is the resource. But we need to be active and going forward and getting out of our comfort zone. Huh? I don't normally do this or do that. I, I just, hey, it's time that we throw ourselves off balance and move forward. Amen. Amen. Continue. What do we do in perilous times? Continue. What are we do in these last days? Continue. Why? Because little ones are counting upon us so that they can grow up and not be prosecuted for what we're trying to instill in their life through and by God's grace and for his glory. And hear this now. It was quoted in the film. Proverbs 28 and verse 2 says, For the transgression of land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall, that's a promise, be prolonged. I don't know if our country will ever get back to its greatness and glory once again, but we need to prolong it. We need to hold back the floodgates so that we can continue to go forward in peace and prosperity till the Lord calls us home. And when he calls us home... Let it go, Lord, and it, he will. 
Amen. I talked to a lady one time. She said, Brother Harding, I'm really kind of concerned about the rapture. I said, really? She said, well, the rapture, and then we come back to the Valley of Armageddon because we're going to be riding horses, and I've never ridden a horse before. <laughs> I said, ma'am, you'll be okay. She said, really? She said, why? I said, well, you'll be like that lady that went to that dude ranch, and she said, I've never ridden before. And the man said, we have a horse that's never been ridden before. You can learn together. <laughs> For whatever reason, it didn't make her feel better, but, uh, you know. What I'm saying is, it's all about getting out of your comfort zone. Hey, do you want revival? It begins here, through him. Hi, this is Brent Lemontine. And before we go, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It is our prayer that today's message has encouraged and helped you. If you have any questions about how to be saved or your Christian walk, we would love to connect with you. Please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. If you live in the greater Albuquerque area and don't have a church home, we hope that you'll visit with us soon at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Rio Rancho. And if you do have a church home, then I pray that you are able to attend there. Every person needs to be faithful and accountable in a local church where they can grow and serve. This podcast is a supplement to your spiritual growth and let it encourage you to be more for Christ. Again, our website is Gospel Light Baptist. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you were listening for the first time, we believe the most important decision you could ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal way. To find out more about that, please visit gospellightbaptist.org slash Jesus. If you are a regular listener, we want to thank you for your time And we would ask that you subscribe to this podcast and also take a moment to share it with others on social media. Until next time, may God richly bless you.